Well, hey friends, my name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're joining us this weekend. Today, we are going to be wrapping up this series called Should Happens. And we've been talking about how we go from the should life and the weight of that to the good life that God has for us and that we have in Him. But before I get into that today, I just wanted to give you a quick uh, couple announcements. Uh, Some of you maybe have gotten an update this last week. For some of you, you're going to hear this for the first time. Tonight, if you're watching this on Sunday, September 6th, tonight we're actually going to have a drive-through in-person worship, communion, and prayer experience. We're even going to have some baptisms for people who want to get baptized and an opportunity for people who are just going to make that decision on the spot that, hey, there's water here, there's people here, there's stuff going on, we want to get baptized. That's going to be at both of our locations in the Bay Area and California at a Benicia campus and our San Francisco campus from five to seven. If you don't feel comfortable with that, no shame, no problem. Communions today as well, online, virtually. But we're also going to have it for those of you who feel comfortable for a safe, simple, sweet moment with you. So we're looking forward to that. Those of you who are going to be able to join us. Another thing I wanted you to know about is next week we have new service times for you to check out. We're going to be having service at 9 and 11 for our online experiences. This is actually to prepare us for the future of new service times that we're going to have on Sunday, as well as when we can regather in person, we'll be adding a Thursday night service in person at the Benicia campus. So just as a heads up, all kinds of other information and updates that we're doing, some exciting things that are going on, you can go to our website, thisis.church, and check all that stuff out. So this week, we are wrapping up this series called Should Happens. This has been a book... Uh, that Todd Clark wrote that gave us some of the framework to walk through this conversation with you all. And if we we recall a couple weeks ago when we started this thing, we talked about how we can struggle with this idea of shoulding on ourselves. Should is a weighty word. It's full of expectations. I know many of you have dealt with expectations where someone says, you should do this, or even the way that you feel as you should be performing or coming alongside of or needing others' expectations in a certain way. So that's why this series, we've used the word should because that's the word that we use on one another, ourselves. Others do that to us, and we actually do that to God. So the first week we talked about how We not only need to be saved by grace, but grace will actually sustain us in the midst of this life and the chaos when we begin to should on ourselves. Then just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Kayla shared with us uh, this thing where we start putting secret job descriptions on others as we should on others. We have expectations about who they should be or what they should do or what they should give or how they should perform. Then just last week, Jesse talked about this idea of how others should on us. And we see this a lot throughout scripture, uh, specifically with Jesus, how he was really good at one word, no. A lot of us, we miss that idea that Jesus actually said no to things. There was lots of things he was asked to do and didn't do. There's a lot of people he was asked to heal that he didn't and chose not to heal because it was going to get in the way of what he felt like he was called to do to fulfill this mission that he was on. 
I uh, find it, uh, I think, the most fun. I know maybe you've been in a small group where you've had conversations or prayer requests specifically, and someone gives a prayer request and like, I'm dealing with this and I'm going through this season and this situation, and everyone starts to should on you, right? Well, this is what you should do. This is what how you should respond. This is what you could add. And these expectations that why didn't you get this in the first place? Why are you even asking for prayer, right? I always find that somewhat comical because all that was asked for was, will you pray for me? Whether it means strength or courage or patience, all of those things. But what do we do? We find it so easy to should on someone else. And it's distracting. It's reflective on other people. We start to do that to other people. So today, as we wrap this conversation up, the topic that we're going to talk about today is the topic that I think for some of you, why people made fun of you in school, why someone thinks you're weird because you go to church, why your husband or your wife or your kids think that you're just a little off and you're just not really aware and you just don't get it right? Or why your neighbor is actually an atheist, right? It's because this isn't just a Christian thing or a religious thing, but everyone, a human thing, everyone at some point in some time in their life has put expectations on God and what they think God should do. We've all done it. We've all done this to God. We've, we, we've treated him like this genie, right, in a bottle. It's this uh, idea where we, we look at God and we say like, okay, God, you're like my little genie right now. I'm going to rub you. And, and if I just do this, then you need to do this. This is what I need you to do. This is what you should do in this circumstance, right? To put it into perspective a little bit. Maybe some of you out there have had seasons where you've had difficult times where maybe even you've gotten sick and you said, God, this person got sick and maybe even the C word was brought up, cancer came up or some disease came up and you feel like everyone you knew, maybe even everyone around the world was praying for this and God, you need to heal this. You need to fix this. You need to make it so they're healthy and they prosper because they love you and they have kids and they have loved ones and they're a good person. I know personally, I've experienced this all throughout my life where there have been young people, people peers my age from when I was a young man that got sick and many of them unfortunately passed away. I know for myself, I actually deal with two diseases that I can't fix. I know just this last March, uh, many of you don't know, I was actually walking with a cane thinking I would never not be able to walk with a cane or a walker because one of my diseases had progressed. Now, I'm not with a cane today, but God hasn't healed what's going on. Medicine is helpful and it's something I'll continue to deal with. But what happens when God doesn't heal and that person passes away or they don't get better or that thing happened to them that's disturbed and disrupted their life. Oftentimes, what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves turning to God saying, this shouldn't be happening. This isn't what you were supposed to do. You should be fixing, healing, redeeming, reconciling, because that's who you are, right, God? And so then what do we do? We quit on them. We say, well, you're not a God of love. You don't care. You're not making my life better. And we dismiss them. We put them off to the side. 
Or maybe you found yourself where you're jobless in this season or in any season. And you're like, I'm going to interview after interview. I'm working hard. I'm showing up at church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm like stuck on Jeremiah 29 about the plans that you have for me to prosper. And yet no job. And that can turn into a God thing. God, where are you, bro? Where are you, man? Why aren't you showing up? Where's the job? I'm doing everything you asked me to do. I'm being faithful in this, but yet you aren't coming through. Or maybe you find yourself single, right? And you're like, look it, I'm going to put my standards really high for myself and I'm going to be pure and make these decisions. And God, I'm going to ready to see you come through and deliver this person, right? And then you find yourself, you're just still single and you're putting all this work in and we get impatient and we're like, God, where are you? Do you not care? I'm being a good person. I'm being faithful in what I'm doing, right? And we get upset because you're like, hey, God, you should have healed. You should have fixed. You should have given me a job. You should have given me a fiance by now that's super good, super holy, and super hot, okay? But it just hasn't happened. And so we find ourselves shooting on God over and over and over again. But if we look throughout the entirety of scripture, we see this narrative where it's really not about us. And it's not about this God being a genie in the bottle. This is the whole idea about how powerful the gospel is in itself, where Jesus comes into the picture as a redeemer because we're not good enough. We'll never be good enough and shows his power, his strength, his goodness when we don't deserve it. When there's no guarantee that there will be a healing or there will be this life that's so good. There will be this wealth that's so good, right? There's a a story actually in the Old Testament in Genesis in the very beginning. It starts where I'll pick it up is in chapter 37 of Genesis. I want to tell you really quick, you can go back and read it on your own. You can read it in multiple versions. You can look it up online. Genesis 37 through 41 is what I'm going to tell you about today. This is the story of a guy named Joseph. Some of you are familiar with the story of Joseph. Maybe even you've watched the play, Joseph and the Technicolored Dreamcoat. Hot take, I actually played Jacob and Potiphar in the musical while I was in college. There's a video out there somewhere, and if I have anything to do with it, you won't see it. But anyways, back to the story, because it's much better than the video that's out there somewhere. Joseph, is a son of Jacob. A nickname for Jacob is actually Israel. God gave it to him because he loved him so much. And Jacob had many sons, but his favorite son was Joseph. And he loved him well. And because of that, his brothers, his siblings, became extremely jealous of him to the point of where they hated him, right? They looked at him as this entitled, taking care of, arrogant, little boy, right? And, and Jacob really didn't help the matter because he gave him what was it called an ornate coat. So today, coats aren't that big of a deal to us, I don't think. So to put this in perspective, I would think maybe the brothers all had an iPhone 5, but dad only upgraded one. And he said, I love this guy the most. And so I'm going to give him an iPhone 11. And what would Joseph do? Like any good sibling would do, would be like, dude, check out this iPhone 11. 
This thing's sweet. You guys are back in the analog century. I've got all these awesome apps. I've got this huge, sweet phone with three photo cameras on it. I can do all kinds of awesome stuff. And that made them all seethe with anger and frustration. And one day, Jacob asked Joseph to go check on his brothers who were tending flocks and letting them gaze and feeding them. And he went on this journey to find him, and when he was far off, the brothers saw him coming, and so they plotted actually to kill him. And one of the brothers, Reuben, stood up and said, no, 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 that's our brother. We shouldn't kill him. And so instead they decided when he came there to throw him into an empty cistern and to leave him potentially to die. They took his coat, they ripped it up, they dipped it in blood, and they happened to see some Ishmaelites passing by on their way to Egypt. And instead they said, instead of killing him, let's go ahead and sell him as a slave to people in Egypt far away. So that's exactly what they did. They sold him as a slave and they went back to Jacob, Joseph's father, their dad. And they said, look it, we found this ornate coat. It's all torn up and it's bloody. And, and he began to grieve because he thought that he was ravaged by some beast out in the field. I would call this the family shoulds, right? You been there? You done that? Where like your own flesh and blood, your own people, you feel like just kind of turn on you. They don't treat you right. They don't take care of you. They don't come alongside of you. Maybe they've even abandoned you. Maybe that's something that you're struggling with or they sent you off for adoption and your identity is just all razzled. You're just not sure where it all connects and you're frustrated. And that then can turn actually back to God and say, God, why would you do this? Why would you do this to me? Why would you abandon me or give me a family that doesn't care for me and love me? This is my own flesh and blood. Well, the story continues. Joseph now finds himself in Egypt and he's now been sold to a man named Potiphar, who's actually the head of the guard for the highest in command in Egypt, which is Pharaoh. And he puts Joseph in charge of his entire household and all the other slaves. And he's a hard worker. And what happened was, is it says that Joseph was well-built and a pretty good-looking guy. And I don't know if you know how that feels. I do. But, you know, you start getting a lot of eyes looking at you. You're a tall drink of water. And the person that caught their eye on Joseph was actually Potiphar's wife. And she began, it says, to pursue him consistently and constantly. And Joseph wanted to make a good decision. He loved God. And he said, this isn't honoring to God. This is sinning against God and to Potiphar. I can't be with you. And it gets fairly in depth in this sexual sin type of way and offering. And so one day, Joseph finds himself stuck. She literally grabs him and says, you're going to be with me. And he says, no. And he runs off and he runs out of his cloak. There's something about Joseph in his jackets, right? So she's left now with this cloak. And when Potiphar comes home, she screams at him and says, this Hebrew slave that you, that you hired here to be here working for us, he tried to make sport of me and he tried to come at me and I screamed and then he ran away and see, look it, I have his cloak. And this made Potiphar so angry that he ended up sending him off to jail. Well, God was still with Joseph. But this can remind us of the boss or the employer should. Have you ever found yourself in that circumstance, in that situation where you feel like you're just doing the honorable thing, that you're just trying to be a person of integrity, to make good decisions, to work hard, to show up on time, to not lie, to be honoring to your commitments? And next thing you know, you find yourself being fired 
for someone else's lie, from someone else's mischief, someone else's lack of integrity? What do we often find ourselves doing? Turning to God and saying, God, why would you do this? Why did you do this? Why would you let this happen? I I was just trying to be a good person. I was just trying to be a person of integrity. I was just trying to have good morals. I was trying to have good work ethic. I was trying to be a good Christian and a good example of who you are. And so we start shooting on God like it's his fault. But God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in a pit. He didn't necessarily switch that and change that up. Now he finds himself in jail. God was with him, and next thing you know, the warden of the jail put him in charge of all the other inmates. So he started taking care of the jail, and he finds himself now interacting with the chief cup bearer and the chef, the head chef of Pharaoh, have now been thrown into jail. And so they have these crazy dreams, and they uh, go to Joseph, and Joseph says, yeah, I can interpret your dreams, because that was just a skill that Joseph had been given. And so the chief cupbearer gives his dream to Joseph and Joseph then interprets it and says, hey, in three days, you're actually going to go back to the position you were in. You're going to be restored to where you were. And the, the, the chef heard this and said, wow, this is a really favorable thing. Will you interpret my dream as well? I had a dream. And Joseph listened to it and said, well, I have some news for you. Actually, in three days, something's going to happen to you as well. Your head's going to be lopped off and the birds will eat of your flesh. Not so favorable. But what happened next? The dreams that he interpreted actually came to pass. It actually happened just like that. And before that they left, Joseph said, will you remember me? Be favorable of me when you are in a favorable position. And so they went off and guess what they did? They forgot. They left him on first. (laughs) They no longer paid attention to Joseph and they started doing their own life. And that happened to the baker. But yet the chief cupbearer was restored and completely forgot. We could call this the friend should. You been there? You ever had that happen where you feel like a friend just left you on first? They completely forgot about you. They forgot about how you were there for them. Maybe they, you feel like they stabbed you in the back. Or forget that. Maybe actually you felt like they stabbed you in the front. And you could see it coming and it was devastating. And you sit there and we sit there and say, Well, God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let me end up in a pit? Then let me be a slave. Then be imprisoned and then forgotten, unknown. Well, the next part of the story is actually that Pharaoh himself begins to have dreams. And he's asking everyone, what does these dreams mean? They're keeping him up awake at night. And so suddenly... The chief cupbearer remembers, oh my goodness, hold on, time out. There was a guy I was in jail with two years ago that interpreted my dreams and it came to pass. It was true. And so Pharaoh had Joseph brought from the cell to him and Joseph then interpreted his dreams. What happens next was never guaranteed in this whole situation. Joseph finds himself now becoming second in command as Pharaoh put a robe on him and a signet to represent his authority that he had in this next season. Joseph then goes on to help Egypt through one of the most robust times and one of the most difficult famines that they had seen. 
And if you continue to read on past chapter 41, you'll actually see this really beautiful story and scene of redemption and restoration between him and his brothers and his father. And then it continues on throughout the entire narrative of Scripture through Jesus. So what do we do with all of this? I think one of the things that we can learn from Joseph right now is that he didn't should on God. He never looked back at him. He was still expectant on who God was no matter what. We see this actually in Daniel in this fiery furnace when they proclaimed, we believe God can save us. We believe God will save us. But even if he doesn't, he is still God and he is still good. That's the toughest part about this whole thing, friends, is not much was really promised when it comes to prosperity in this world. What was promised was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of suffering. And because of that, this whole thing, this whole God story is all about God's redemptive work to redeem us because we can't. We can't make these things happen. We aren't a deity that can make someone better and heal them and make a job happen, to be a genie in the bottle, to fix something that's unfixable, but God can. And we can have hope that he can. We can have faith that he can. And we can see the fruit that comes from that. So what do we do with all of this? Well, friends, I believe that our response is to continue to trust in God. That when we find ourselves shooting on God, it's just not healthy. That if we want to get from the should life to the good life, we need to continue to hope and trust in a good God who did for you what you cannot do for yourself. The best you cannot do for you. Only God can do. And only God did through Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. We're broken, undeserving, we're sinners. And God gave us his son, Jesus, and said, hey, I'm gonna be with you through the storm, not around it, but through it, through whatever it brings, through however this plan starts to lay out. But in the end, you're gonna be redeemed. You're gonna be seen as righteous. You're going to be known and you're going to be found. So friends, as we finish this whole thing up and we actually look into the future of conversations we're talked about next, may we remember the power of the gospel, this redemptive story where you and I are being reconciled, redeemed, and renewed. I love you, friends. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. I'll see you next week.